If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to uh, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 30. We're going to look at an incredible story about David's life. (laughs) Go get him, Anna Chapel. Again, we're taking time today, and actually last week we looked at God's Word and we were trying to answer the question, what kind of king would we elect? What kind of king would we elect to rule us? And this is going to be a big year. 08 is going to be a big year for our, our country as we are wrestling through uh, who is the man or woman uh, that God is raising up or that we as a Christian community should be looking toward to lead us. I mean, really, in many ways, uh, uh, the future of our, our, our nation is so much wrapped into this year yet again for this great electoral process. It's interesting uh, yesterday, I uh, spent the 10th year in a row at the Maitland Little League tryouts. You want to talk about politics? <laughs> Little League. And what's interesting is as we were there, um, and it's, it's, it's kind of interesting how it works. All the coaches stand in the outfield, and we have names of all the kids with assigned numbers, and we all have our strategy, and make sure the other coaches don't see, and... Uh, um, you know, who is going to be the wonderful addition to our team. And politics in that environment actually came out. All of a sudden, the coaches kind of came, uh, gathered around, and all of a sudden, the conversation turned to who will be our next president. And thankfully, there wasn't a big debate about that, as there, are, that there is about everything else in Little League. Really, what came out was this. I hope we have a president who's presidential. I hope we have a president. Someone said, it was very intriguing. I hope we have a president that, that kind of looks the part, acts the part, that, that's presidential. What do you think that means, having a president that's presidential? I, obviously, there's certain characteristics that this one was looking for that many nodded their heads saying, yeah, I agree. A president who's presidential. I said, well, that's profound. <laughs> a president who's presidential. But I think I knew what they meant. One that when he stood up, and he represented the entire nation, we could say he does a good job of that. He seems to bear the weight of our our issues well. He seems to have a demeanor that communicates the importance of his office. Uh, He's not a comedian. Uh, He can relate with us, and yet he's got to be a warrior. He's got to be tough. He's got to be strong. Or she's got to be tough and strong. She's got to be one who uh, really, when she speaks, she speaks for all of us, or... He represents all of us. Want somebody who's presidential. What about a king? A godly king? What about a king that God has chosen to lead us? You know, when we look about being led, we got to realize that God has created us to be led. I mean, ultimately, Scripture tells us that God has given us great authority to to lead others and to rule uh, over His creation. But in reality, we are all created to be led by a godly king. Last week, we looked at God's word and said this godly king should be presidential. He should be regal. He should be one that reflects who God is. When you look at him, you should say, that man, that woman, there were judges, uh, women judges in scripture, they represent the heart of God. There's something important about what they're doing because They have issues that they know that they are wrestling with before God, God Almighty. And not only that, but isn't it true that we really want someone that we can relate to that rules over us? I mean, maybe maybe not just a career-long politician, 
but somebody who's been there. Someone who when he talks about issues or when she talks about what's happening, you know, they can relate. It's just not those words. And what makes David so beautiful and what makes David so important to us and why David could write the Psalms and have them sing to our heart in such an incredible way is this David was like that. I mean, this David, this David was a man's man. I mean, he wrestled with, with bears, with his bare hands and lions and killed them with his bare hands. It's awesome. I mean, he's, he's a warrior that will take on a giant and lop off his head. I mean, it's incredible for all of us who want a little bravado. We get it with David. But anybody who wants a renaissance man, someone who's able to strum a guitar or a harp and sing and write poetry, it's David. And so I mean, what are unique characteristics of this one who, who can not only uh, is a warrior, but who's a tender warrior, who's a poet, who's a true renaissance man. One who knows our pain. You see, what what makes David so important to us in the Old Testament and why it's so clear that he's so qualified to rule and reign is because he suffered. David David had to spend a lot of his life on the run. I mean, there, there were kings after him. David had to spend part of his life faking being a lunatic to save his life. David knew what it was like to hang out in a cave and hoping and praying that God will have his enemies pass by. David knew what it was like to be out alone with a sheep and simply be a shepherd. But God gave David an incredible gift, and that is a heart after himself, God, a heart after God. And this incredible warrior, and again, why David is so important and why we relate to him so much, because he's been there. He's one of us. He's one of us. I mean, David's life is unique, and David's song is unique, but in a lot of ways, it's our song. And what David does in the most great, incredible way of all the kings in Scripture is he points to another king to come, an even greater one than David, one who had a heart for God and the human touch of the common man. Isn't that what we long for? And ultimately, we're going to see that we find that one we long for in Jesus God's qualifications for a king. Here's what he says. It's got to be a king of my own choosing. Sinful men and women like you and me, we have a hard time choosing rightly. We're going to pick, we're going to choose a ruler with all the wrong characteristics. They did it in the Old Testament. The first time they said, we want a king so we could be like the other nations. How foolish. Think of the foolishness of this. God had set a, a unique love on his own people. He wants to give them a unique identity, a unique place in all of history. And yet, they're going to reject this unique God and this re- unique relationship. And they're going to seek after what everybody else has. We don't want to be different. We've got to remind ourselves that as Christians, God's family, we are to have a real impact on culture. But God doesn't want us to look just like everybody else. We shouldn't think like them. We shouldn't act just like them. We should be reminded, but by the grace of God, there there we go. We shouldn't be holier than thou because we all know the truth. I mean, just this week, there's a good friend of mine who, uh, I want to tell you more, but I'll give it away. A good friend of mine who is one of the most moral guys I know, and he's not a Christian. And it's just so hard for him to get it because he acts more morally than most Christians. And I keep on telling him, it's not about morality because we all fall short. Even you do. I see, I love Christianity because I'm clinging to the one who was perfectly moral. And I want you to know I need Jesus. 
Don't look to me as the example. Look to me clinging to the one who is. And again, God is uh, the one who says we need a king of uh, his own choosing because we're not going to choose rightly. And not only that, we need a king, we need a king after his own heart. A uh, king that really just doesn't give us this, this, uh, the right word so he wins a certain contingent of votes. Who says the right religious rhetoric. But really, a king after God's own heart. And then a king among the people. Remember last week, if you were here, we looked at Deuteronomy 17. And one of the prescriptions God gives us, it's wonderful. He says he should be among your ranks. It shouldn't be someone who's haughty and who's over you and acts like he's royalty. He should be acting like he's just one of you loving you. Don't you want a king like that? Don't you want a ruler like that? That's all we have in Jesus. Well, let's turn with Scripture. We look at uh, 1 Samuel 16, uh, verse 7. We're going to begin there. A king named Saul was picked because he was a physical, strong man. Uh, He looked like the kings of the other nations. uh, But he was a godless man. And by the way, we started last week. uh, uh, We'll continue tonight. Uh, each Sunday night in January, I'm going to talk about the rest of the story. All the stuff I have to leave on the cutting room floor because there's so much stuff I can't share. So if you want to come back and, I, and we can informally talk about the rest of the story, we'll meet again tonight at 5. But unfortunately, no child care. But if you want to come, we'd love to have you. Well, in, in, in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, we see that Samuel, a uh, uh, prophet of God who is called to anoint the next king, is given clear instructions about how to look for a king. And if you'll turn with me in God's word to 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says this, But the Lord said to Samuel, this prophet that God had called to anoint a king, do not consider his appearance or his height. Because again, we need a, God, a king of God's own choosing. And because we, we view things so shallowly, we just look at, what do they look like? How strong are they? Um, Don't view a king, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him, him being Saul, uh, and those who may just look good. The Lord does not look at these things uh, human beings look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, he looks at the heart. Now what I'm going to do today is this. Um, We're going to turn to 1 Samuel 30, and and for a good majority of the remaining time we have, we're going to read this story, and I'm going to kind of fill in the dots. And there's so many stories that you could read about David that reflect this. Here's, here's, here's my point. Can, can, you, can you read the story with this? Know that this is what I'm trying to do. What I'm trying to do is pick a story and God's led me to this one that says, this will show us what David's like. And this will show us how much David was like Jesus. At the end of the story, we're going to kind of connect the dots and say, the, so what? What's, what's there for us? So if you want to, uh, in your bulletin, you'll find a, an outline. And really, the outline's better filled in as I read the story. And then we'll get to the so what, okay? So that, that's the deal. Would you do me another favor? Uh, this, it, it, it's a longer passage. We're going to read a lot of 1 Samuel 30. Uh, and it's a really it's a good opportunity for you to write a grocery list or, or think about the playoff games that are coming up or your busy work week. Okay, I know. I've been there when people read. So would you just join me in prayer saying, God... I believe you got something for me today, and I want to hear it, and I I want to be sensitive to it. And so uh, would you please lean in? Would you please allow God to to open your ears and and, and, uh, open your mind to hear? Because it's really some incredible stuff. And In that light, let me pray for us. And Father, thank you for a king like David, one of your own choosing, one after your own heart. Thank you for this Renaissance man that's so incredible, and yet this man that we can relate to because he suffered. 
We can relate to because he was broken. We can relate to because he was a sinner. And Father, uh, we thank you that he really does a great job reflecting the need for a greater king. And that king is Jesus. So Father, we ask that we can see Jesus clearly today. Even as we look at David, we want to see Jesus. Because David's not our hope. David's a murderer. He's an adulterer. We want, we want hope in a king that's it's, it's better. Uh, one who can defeat just more than bears and lions. One who can defeat death. One who can defeat sin. And one who is truly a warrior that battles for us. So God, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Would you bless the reading and the preaching of your word? And Father, I pray that today, and all the distractions, that please give us focus. Give me focus. I'm nervous. Uh, Father, speak through me, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, great story in uh, 1 Samuel 3, story time. Uh, open it up or the words will be up here, but please uh, diligently follow along. David and his men reach Ziglag on the third day. Now, this is an area that was given to him, by the way, by a Philistine king. He's running from the king of Israel, and this is a place where he has been given. Now, the Amalekites, and by the way, the Amalekites have already battled with David and lost, and they're sore, and they're, they're ticked. But they had raided the Negev and Ziglag. They uh, had attacked Ziglag and burned it. This is where David was. And they had taken captive the women who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, by God's grace, but carried them off as they went on their way. Here's a picture. David's home has just been ransacked. Everything that he owns has been burned. And not only that, what was everything that was near and dear to him, family, has been taken hostage. They're gone. Can you imagine coming home from your work or from uh, uh, the grocery store, coming back home, and there is everything you own on fire, and, and heaven forbid, everyone you love, gone. Okay, get the mindset of what's going on here. This is, this is what's happening with David. Now, when you hear these kind of things, we know he wrote the Psalms the way he did. Uh, when David and his men reached Ziglag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Have you ever been there? I mean, has life really been that hard where you wept so hard you just had no more strength to weep? I know many of you have. I mean, maybe curled up in a fetal position and tears won't come anymore because you just shed too many. And all you have is moaning and just crying out of the heart. That's the picture of what is happening here. I mean, this is weeping until... There is no more strength. And now we see this great picture of a king who not only has a heart for, a, uh, for God, we have a picture of a king who weeps. We want a king who weeps. We want a king who weeps because we don't have a king who weeps. He can't relate to us. And we think of Jesus. When he looks at Jerusalem, he looks over the city. What does he do? He weeps. He weeps at the lost. He weeps at the broken. He goes to a tomb of a friend named Lazarus. And what does he do? He weeps. We are rejoicing in a king and a God who is able to weep. Because many of us this morning are weeping. Maybe we can't see it on the outside, but the inside is telling the truth. It's health. It's family. It's finances. It's just depravity. You come here this morning lugging all that pain. And, and listen, what I want you to hear so much is Jesus knows it. And he's able to weep over it. 
David was greatly distressed in verse 6 because the men were talking of stoning him. (laughs) Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Isn't it just true that oftentimes in our lowest of low, we get attacked? I mean, here is David who can't weep anymore. And those of you who have been called to roles in leadership, isn't it usually in those moments of vulnerability that they want to stone us? Because they're hurting too. And, and can you imagine David's double pain of it just losing all that he loved and then those that he represented, those that he loved, those that he led, turning on him, and the rumor is they want to stone him? Can you picture Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Just agonizing and, 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 and sweating blood for what he was about to do. Crying out to God and all those who were supposed to be his chums. All those who had sworn allegiance even to death are denying him. And they're running away. I mean, that's incredible pain. And then here's a king who's been shaped by this suffering. But what does he do in verse 6? But David found strength in the Lord his God. In the midst of that loneliness, in the midst of that despair, he didn't try to find counsel in the arms of a woman or or comfort or counsel with others. He went immediately to the Lord. I had a conversation for an hour with a dear loved one in my own life this week who's greatly struggling and a lot of issues in her life and a lot of challenges and uh, some consequences of sin. And she's trying to hear from God and she's trying to put a fleece out here and a fleece out there and she wants to know God's will because there's some consequences of some behavior that she's done. And I I said to her, I said, are you hearing God? I mean, it it seems like you're trying to go to everybody but God. And really you've got to find your strength and your protection there and get with him. And that's exactly what David did. Then David said to Abathar the priest in verse 7, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. And that's, a, that's something that the priest would wear. He's basically saying, let me get in the posture of seeking after God. And Abithar brought it to him. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue these raiding parties? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in rescue. What does David do? David looks for direction from the Lord. I'm going to look for you, Lord. Tell me what to do. Are, you, are we doing it in our own lives every day? God, how does this contract fit with me? How's this opportunity fit with me? God, I'm going to seek your direction. It may look good, but I'm going to seek. I've heard from wise counsel from others. My, my brothers and sisters in Christ, listen, we've got to hear directly from God. And that means we've got to spend time alone with God. He's going to give us his word. He has. He's going to let us hear from him through each other. He does that. He really does. It's awesome. But if we're just relying on other people to tell us what God said, we're missing it. And here's David saying, I'm going to hear directly from God. I'm going to go seek God's face. I'm going to put myself in a posture to hear from the living God. Should I go? How much our lives will be different if we fall on our faces and we say, God, I won't do anything until I hear your voice. He seeks for God for direction. Um, He also seeks for God for his strength. He strengthens himself in the Lord. He says, my strength isn't in men. I'm going to strengthen myself in the Lord. Again, we see Jesus continually withdrawing, getting to the Father, finding his strength, Luke 5, 16, and others. We see a king who seeks for direction in 1 Samuel 38. And we clearly see Jesus saying, I've come here to do nothing but my Father's will. That's it. The direction comes from God the Father, and that's who I am following. And then we see a king who is a warrior in verse 9. 
So David and the 600 men with him, uh, an amazing warrior. We want a king who is a weeper, a king who looks for God for strength, a king who seeks God for direction. But we also want a king who's a warrior. And this is what we got in David. David and the 600 men with him came to Besor Valley, uh, where some stayed behind. Now get this picture. Here they are going at as fast as they can to catch up to everything they love and everything that they've lost. Think of the absolute haste that they are making. Well, 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley. But David and the other 400 continued the pursuit. So here you have a pursuit. 200 stay behind, 400 go. They found an Egyptian in a field and brought him to David. They gave him water to drink and food to eat. Part of a cake and pressed figs and two cakes of raisin. Sounds delicious. He ate and was revived. For he had not eaten any food or drunk any water for three days and three nights. David asked him, who do you belong to? Where do you come from? He said, I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. Are you a child of God? Your master will never abandon you. Ill, broken, sinful, he's not leaving you behind. But here we have the Amalekites who will say, he's too sick to go. Leave him. And my master abandoned me when I was ill three days ago. We raided the Negev uh, of the uh, Kerithites, some territory belonging to Judah. David, that would ring in David's heart. And the Negev of Caleb. Uh, and we burned Ziglag. David asked him, can you lead me down to this raiding party? He answered, swear to me before God that you will not kill me or hand me over to my master and I will take you down to them. He led David down and there they were scattered all over the countryside, eating, drinking and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. How would you feel about that? How would you feel about those who just burned your house, just stole your family, thrown a party? Can you imagine that righteous anger? Can you imagine those men, no matter how weary they were? There they were, partying at your expense. Is that not a world that we live in? 17. David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day. Holy cow. From dusk to the evening of the next day. And none of them got away. Well, except for 400 young men. I love that. Who rode off on camels and fled. None of them, except for 400. But I love what it says. David recovered. Listen, listen, listen. David recovered how much? Everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Listen to this, listen to this, listen. Nothing was missing. Young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. Is that not success? The joy and the awe is not in David's rescue. It's in Jesus. And listen to what Jesus did. He came to seek and to save the lost. And in John 6.37, he says this, All that the Father has given me, and all which Satan has driven away, every single one that has been plundered because of sin and driven from my presence, every sheep of mine will be rescued. Not one will be lost. Amen? Not one. All that is His will be restored. He has come to seek and to save the lost. Those who recognize His voice that God set a love on before time began 
and none will perish. And nothing can snatch them out of this wonderful Jesus' hands. Is that not wonderful? We want to have a God who's not only a warrior, but a God who rescues all that is lost, and that is Jesus. Go to Him and turn to Him. You may feel lost. You may be out of strength. You may say, I can't continue. I want to tell you about this warrior Jesus. This warrior Jesus is not going to let you go. This warrior Jesus is not going to let anything of the world, not even your own sin, pry you from His loving, nail-pierced hands. Nothing. There will be nothing that Jesus doesn't rescue and ransom that's His own. Your soul should be singing in the midst of your despair, in the midst of your brokenness and sorrow. He knows it, and He will lift you up, and He will rescue you. And then we see a king who shares his wealth with his children. The story goes on to say that there was an argument about those 200 that were left behind. And really what happened is, is those 400 warriors that went... And re- rescued it all. Said, "Don't we are not going to share. We're not going to share with them. They didn't do anything. We fought all day and night. We rescued our necks. We're taking the plunder. Okay, give them their children, give them their wives. But all the plunder is ours." And David steps in as a godly king with a king after God's own heart and says, "No, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. We're family." And there's some who could fight certain battles and there's some who can't. And we're not just going to share the spoils of victory with some. Every single one is going to feast and enjoy the spoils tonight. And this is what Jesus says. I'm going to share with each one of my family members. I'm going to make them an heir. Everything the Father has given to me, I'm going to give to them. All the blessings for the pastors, for the elders, for the deacons, for the women ministry leaders, for those who barely have a faith big as a mustard seed. God is going to say, I'm going to lavish blessing upon you. You are included. You're not disqualified. There's such good news. Jesus is going to share the blessings of the Father, His righteousness and His poured out blood for every single child of God. You are not excluded. You may feel it. You may feel, God, where are the blessings? Where's your presence? I don't know. I can't feel it. I don't have it here. Looks like you're blessing them. Are you blessing me? We can be assured. Every child of God. He has lavished the love upon him that we should be called the children of God. This is our king. This is our warrior. And his name is Jesus. You see, that's why David was able to write the Psalms the way he was able to write them. Because he knew of pain and sorrow. And he pursued hard after God. Today, at the end of our service, in just a few moments, we're going to ask those who have been called by God to, to go and start a church plant under Ted and Tricia sins leadership. And we're so excited because you know what we're praying for? Let thy kingdom come. Let your blessings include them. They're family too. I mean, you got to bless them. you got to bless them. And they're, they're going to go to a different part, but they're, they're us. And no matter where we are fighting on, on in the line, sometimes we're weary and we're resting, and sometimes we're engaging on the front lines, we got to pray for them. It's exciting to see even, even uh, Jamie Hart for years was our youth director and, and who is now in an in internship preparing to plant a church. And right from our midst, we're seeing God advance Christ's kingdom. And it's exciting. And really, I see a picture of what's happening right here in Samuel when everyone enjoyed God's blessing. You see, David can sing a unique song because he knew of uh, God's own heart. Uh, he was trained in the crucible of suffering and he understood the people. And really all that David does is it gives him some unique qualities. David had some divine qualities with a heart and mind after God. But David had a, was a king who had a common touch. And really all he did was point to a king that we call Jesus. Does he have a heart after God? We call him son of God. 
Does he have a common touch of man? We call him son of man. Now listen. Listen. God is called the God of all comfort. And the only way God could be the God of all comfort, listen, is if he was the God of all suffering. Does it make sense? The only way our God could be a God of all comfort if he was the God of all suffering. And that who is Jesus. That is who Jesus is. The only one who could truly understand our suffering is one who has experienced it. Isaiah 53 calls him, he is the man of sorrows. It's so often in my life, I know it's true in yours, when we are hurting, we'll have someone who will say to us, I understand your pain. And oftentimes, you know, they don't. And you really want to stop and correct them and say, you really don't. I understand you're trying to to provide comfort. But can you imagine if we went to God who we say we're hurting that really couldn't understand our pain? But that's not true with Jesus. Listen, he experienced our pain. And because he experienced our pain, he has something to say about our pain. And we could go to him for comfort. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, can look into your life and say, I've been there. I know it. I understand. Jesus not only understands our sorrows, he carried our sorrows. He did more. He literally carried them to a Roman cross and he died with the weight of our sorrows pressing upon his shoulders. Isaiah 53, 4 says this, He bore our sorrows. More than just experienced them, He bore them. He wore them. He he experienced them in His body. Jesus is suffering incarnate. And when we see a picture of His resurrected body, guess what He still has? The scars of nails that have pierced His hands and His feet. The scar on His side So much as his resurrected body still includes scars that he would say to one doubting named Thomas, grab your finger and bring it here and thrust it into my side. John was given a picture of heaven and when he looked into heaven, he saw Jesus and here's how he described him. He looks like a lion who had been slain. Now scripture tells us what Jesus is doing for us, this man of sorrows, this one who bore our sorrows, Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. He lives to pray for us, to intercede for us. And here's the beauty of picturing Jesus. As he's praying for you and me in the midst of our sorrows, his scars remain. He will not, he cannot forget our sufferings. His scars will continually remind him of our pain and sorrow. He bore our suffering. He died our death so we can have hope in suffering and a living hope. By God's grace and the work of His Son, Jesus has struck a death blow to suffering. But the victory is not fully enjoyed until He comes back. Until now, we will suffer. But God has given us a comforter called the Holy Spirit. And not only that, He's told us you're going to have a fellowship with me in suffering. Philippians 3.10 says this, I want to know Christ and the power of the resurrection, and the fellowship that comes in sharing in his sufferings. And when we turn to 2 Corinthians 1, and let me encourage you to read that, it talks about the God of all comfort who calls us to comfort others. What's the application here? It's this. Are you hurting? Are you in sorrow and pain? King Jesus relates. And he loves you, and he'll never let you go. He's defeated that sorrow. Someday you'll never taste tears again. 
But he's going to allow sorrow to come into our lives so we know who he is. So we can have a fellowship with his son. And he's what he says more than that. He says he's going to allow sorrow to come in our lives so that we can comfort one another as God has comforted us. Family of God, look around. Your neighbor's hurting. He's carrying a burden. Point him to Jesus. My family of Orangewood, look around. There are many tears being shed. And God says, I've comforted you, so you comfort others. We can't leave anyone behind. We have to make sure we rescue them all and point them all to Jesus. Until his kingdom comes, God has called us to comfort one another. So much so that we've got to go out and comfort others that are hurting. And we have the privilege of doing that by sending some of you out to start a whole new work, to have the kingdom come, to represent this great king. So I'm going to ask those of you who have prayed about it, those of you who have wrestled, and we have about 30, and then they may not all be here. Some will be at the women's retreat, and, uh, and Ted's work is up and going. But if you have felt God's call and you're going to leave with the sins to go start a new work, we want to pray for you. We want our elders to come and set their hands upon you. And we want to say, God, bless them so they can be a blessing to others. So would you come forward? And as they come forward, there's about 30 from our midst who, are, who are, have felt God's call, who have, who have responded in a way of, yes, I'm responding to God's call. But there's more. There's folks from Lake Baldwin Church. There's folk, folks from St. Paul's. There's folks from First Pres downtown Orlando. There's folks that are driving over from Lakeland to start this new work. Uh, and how exciting this is. This is bittersweet in a sense. We're seeing our family leave the house. It's kind of like a kid heading off to college. But it's more exciting because it's the kingdom being advanced. This is God working in our midst, my, my brothers and sisters. This is our family believing God's call. We're going to sacrifice whatever we can to advance Christ's kingdom. Even giving up great members like this. Man, just avoid the stage. Whatever you can do, just avoid the stage. Get on up there. Come on, we can't pray. Come on. Thank you for being obedient to God's call. Thank you for about praying about if God is calling you. Now, we have some elders who are going to be up here and praying for them. So not all the elders are going. Um, Ted and Tricia, thanks for following God's faithfulness. We've loved uh, journeying with you here at Orangewood. Wow, this is a great day. This is a great day. Go and serve the king. Go look for lost sheep. Go remind them of a great king with a heart after God and who's got a human touch. Jesus, son of God, son of man. Go as a bride of Christ. Go with our blessing. Go with our joy. And yet, go and and plant churches as well. Go and reproduce and multiply all for the sake of our great king. Is it a deal? We're going to miss you. We love you. But go and uh, and we're going to be praying for you. If you all could do me a favor, oh my goodness, look at how cute Maddie and Riley look. Is that not just beautiful? I'm, I'm a Braden Gentry, you look good too. But you girls, man, you are awesome. And you hurt your elbow, didn't you, Maddie? You feeling okay? All right. Hey, will you all take a knee if you can? If not, um, you can just stand. I'm going to ask the elders to get around you, and, and we're going to pray. Um, and Ted, I didn't let you pray earlier, and I'm putting you on the spot now. Can I have that mic? Would you, would you pray as well, Ted? And uh, I'm going to close this in prayer. And I'm going to close us by leading uh, us all in the Lord's Prayer. And we're gonna, in the Lord's Prayer, it asks that the kingdom would come, that God's will would be done. So Ted's going to start. I'm going to close. And then we're actually all going to close by saying the Lord's Prayer. All right? When you hear the Lord's Prayer, let's stand and recite it together. And then let's sing, Thy kingdom come, as we close. Is it a deal? All right, let's pray together.
Lord Jesus, thank you for your extreme kindness to all of us, and thank you for how gracious and good you have been to us. We deserve absolutely none of it. Uh, Both this church and the one you're planting now are statements of your grace and your power, because in and of ourselves, we are weak and sinful, and um, you are so good to us. I thank you for Orangewood and their incredible kindness to us, and I thank you so much for uh, the sacrifice that they have made to have us here and to send out their very own to go plant this church Uh, Your word promises that when a seed falls to the ground and dies, it bears much fruit. And we just pray that out of the death that Orangewood is dying here, that you would bring much fruit, much life, much fame and glory for you uh, and your kingdom. Uh, Thanks again for Jeff and his heart uh, to lead in this way. I pray that you would uh, bless him and, and again, bless Orangewood. Lord, thank you. This is exciting for us. Um, We know that you are planting a church. We're watching you plant this church. Uh, Thank you for being, again, so kind as to let us watch you do it and be instruments in your hand. Uh, Thanks again for your goodness to us. Father, thank you so much for your son's love, for your love for the church, for the bride of Christ. Thank you that gates of hell will not prevail against her. Father, we ask that you would empower those here in our midst that are following your call to plant a new work. God, thank you for Ted and Tricia. Thank you for their incredible giftedness, for their beautiful family. And Father, most importantly, thank you for their desire to have a heart for God and feet for the gospel. God, would you bless them? Would you strengthen them? God, would you allow the leadership team and all of their members uh, to, to really follow their lead as they follow hard after you? Lord, we thank you for the privilege that you've given to this Orangewood family of, of giving birth yet again to a new church. And God, oh, you are so gracious to allow us to do this. God, we ask that through this church, the kingdom of God would come more fully to Central Florida, that your will would be done, that more people will know and love Jesus as Savior. God, that's our hope. That's our prayer. And God, we join our voices together today, praying that prayer you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Let us sing together.